Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guests' big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now, it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we are joined today with Alex Zimianic, who is the CEO and founder of Jay-Z Vacation Rentals. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm truly honored, honestly, with the guests that you've had on this show. I'm very humbled and honored to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you. We wanted to have you for a long time. Like we met you... A year and a half ago at uh, VRMA in San Antonio, and yes. it was quite an interesting, quite an interesting meeting because we didn't quite realize you were introducing yourself, and I was like, "No, this is Alex," and you're like, "No, I'm Alex," yeah. and so a lot of confusion ensued in that conversation. Yeah, yeah that was, I'll, that I'll, was I'll that's something we'll never let go because it was like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Alex," and you're like. Yeah, no, but, Alex. Yeah, I'm Alex. Yes. Nice, nice to meet you. You're like, Alex, yeah. I know. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the best part was after, though, after we realized, okay, we both have the same name, we went over to the side and we started talking about what all three of us do. And as you were explaining what Jay-Z Vacation Rentals is, you're like, well, we're a property management company, but we're kind of like a hybrid OTA. And I almost, I was like, okay, this is now getting even weirder because at this time I was with Condo, with Condo World and I said, that's interesting because we are too. I said, so you book reservations for other people's properties? And you said, yep. And I said, oh my gosh, wow, we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> so Absolutely. we talked for probably yeah. a good hour at that party and just compared notes and have stayed in touch ever since. And it's it's been a lot of fun to learn about you personally and your story and just the growth that you've had as a company and also just as a leader. But before we get started, beyond that brief introduction we've given you, can you tell our audience <laughs> a little bit more about you? Yeah, thank you so much. So uh, again, I'm Alex Simianic, and I'm the CEO of the Jay-Z brand, which is basically made up of two companies and a nonprofit. Um, I've been in the industry since 2014-ish um, for okay. the short-term rental side. I've been in real estate investing since 2008. I actually started in the crash, um, which was uh, you know kind of a lucky timing to start. It played out in my favor. I got into the real estate development market first. Uh, but yeah, I've been in the industry, uh, like I said, since 2014 and and um, love every bit of it. And, and right now we are roughly sitting around 62 properties that we manage um, 100% of. Then on our site, as you kind of briefly alluded to, that we have um, 400 properties, nine states and um, Cabo San Lucas on our site that we market for. Wow. So you've grown a lot since we first met you. I feel like you didn't have quite that many, right? Yeah. Um, we, you know, we have kind of a steady and consistent growth. Um, and it's, my goal has always been on the branding. And, and uh, like Alex said, is, is more focused on the quality over quantity, which comes with its sacrifices. And there's many times that 
that I've questioned that along the years, if that was the right way to go. But yeah, we, we do, we do have a steady growth and we only accept, I'd say maybe 70 or maybe 30% um, of the owners and uh, inventory that comes our way. We're really just trying to prioritize that quality and we're trying to maintain it from day one. To So the downside to that is revenue and growth. Um, the upside is that trust in that quality that we're trying to provide and, in, in that overall consistency. So yeah, we've, we've, uh, there's, there's, there's been some hills and valleys in between there and that growth, but, but yeah, it's a lot of our growth has happened. I'm shockingly since COVID since the year of COVID. Yeah. But everything you just said, it just aligns so much with the things that Alex and I have really tried to talk about on our show is again, being a good steward for the industry, being professional, having standards, not just taking units for the sake of taking units. There are property managers out there that will do that. And it just kind of, I always think of it as more of like a land grab. They're just trying to get inventory in a building or in a market and not necessarily thinking about what that quality ultimately means to the brand that they either are intentionally or unintentionally building along the way. So I think that you're, you're focused on all the right areas, but can you tell us a little bit like how you got started? Cause I think that was what was really interesting. And you said it, you alluded to in the beginning is that, you know, part of your business is um, a, a charity. You, you do some work around the industry, not just um, renting units and, and working with owners, but you do a lot of things that are really good for the industry. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah. For, well, just to kind of rewind a little bit. So 2004, I actually, uh, my father passed away at a sudden heart attack. And that's really where the, the Jay-Z comes from. It's initials. Uh, it's three generations of initials that was named after my late father. And that was in 2004. And then a couple of years after that, I got introduced to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, a lot of people have read that book. I mean, it's a phenomenal book and just kind of gets you in that mindset for financial that money is actually meant to work for you we're not supposed to be grinding away for money and slaving away in a nine to five and you know that i wasn't much of a reader then and um i think i read that book in a few days and it just um, captivated my uh focus on on just wanting to stay in rei and that that became immediately my goal was to get into the real estate investment side and I, at the time, I was still working for AT&T and I was climbing the corporate ladder. And uh, before I left, I was regional manager for them. And that's about when I was getting into um, a little bit more of the rental model. We started out, uh, as I mentioned, in 2008, we bought our first two family and I moved into the lower level, rented out the upstairs unit and then just kind of slowly fixed it up in time. I didn't I was not very handy in the beginning. I didn't know how to do much stuff. So I was learning on the fly, lots of mistakes. Then I had a one-man crew, and we just kept that moving where I bought a four-family, moved out of the two-family, moved into a four-family, and I was living in um, one of the lower-level units when I got news of my first kid, which is my son. Um, so that was about nine years ago because um, he's eight. So nine years ago, I got news of of my son and instead of trying to bring him home to this area that was great it was trendy but not really great for a, a newborn son and so we had an extra set of furniture and um i left my furniture at the unit that we, that we were currently staying in went to another home um where we brought him home to and tried it out i was actually first attempting to rent out the unit just furnished just try to go after what we now call like the midterm model or furnished 
um, you know, long term. And there was in a college area. And so it made sense. But it was crickets. And it was around this time. And it's cold here. So it wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't it, it wasn't the best demand at that time. But I'm talking to a friend of mine um, who's who's also been in real estate and he's from he's from the East Coast and, and uh, he's from Miami. And he was telling me about Airbnb. And this was this was nine years ago, eight, nine years ago. And, and I looked at him like he's crazy because it's cold. It's not Miami. It's not a destination, typically not a destination city in St. Louis is where we're based out of. But we tried it out. And um, sure enough, it doubled the rent of the other units that were in the building that were being traditionally rented. And so then we just we kept that process going and ended up leaving the furniture at the second home and went to a third and so on and so forth. And because we were a construction company and a development company, we were able to kind of create the standard because we were remodeling the homes. And we're still learning what um, the quality standard is today. Like it never changes, right? Like there's there's always going to be something new uh, that guests are desiring in a home. But when it came to like the 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 actual construction design and making sure that the home was brand new, that part we had down. We just had to learn the rest along the way. So we we went up to our first uh, five properties we owned and managed. And it made it a lot easier because then we're we're fumbling through it. We're learning software and PMS systems, learning what all of that stuff is. And that all happened um, around 2017 is when we actually officially launched Jay-Z Vacation Rentals. So Jay-Z Properties is my parent company that was really mainly construction. And um, then uh, uh, in 2017, we launched Jay-Z Vacation Rentals. And my best contract at the time, I offered a um, profit share opportunity to partner with me so we could continue doing both models. I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to continue construction and development and try to kick off this new marketing and, and property management venture on the side. I knew it was going to take a lot more of my time. So I offered a partnership and um, that worked out well for a year later on. It didn't um, ended up. Uh, having some rough years and we uh, uh, caught some stealing from a form, former partner, lost lost about six figures and it kind of took a very big blow to us around 2018. We'll be back in a minute after a word from our premier brand sponsor, Wheelhouse, the ultimate revenue driving machine. Yeah, I use Wheelhouse and I love, love, love Wheelhouse. I feel like it's like a, it's like a Mac version of pricing, right? It's you can just kind of dive in and start pushing a bunch of stuff. You're not going to break anything, but you can kind of just learn it. And then they have so many great tutorials. And luckily for me, their customer service has been amazing also, which is really important to me. So if I have a question, I can actually get somebody to respond. That's John Hildebrand, owner of Hildy Homes. John opened his business in 2019 and manages a small portfolio of luxury homes in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he prides himself on being able to create a truly five-star guest experience. We asked John what it was like trying to figure out a pricing strategy as a newcomer to the industry. Well, when I first started, I didn't even know any of that stuff exists. I just was doing it all manually. And I'm like, this is so much work to try to figure out pricing all the time. So I did try price labs for a little bit, but for me, it was too PC. It was very complicated. Somebody showed me Wheelhouse and I just kind of dove in and I was like, oh, this is a lot easier. So then I've been using Wheelhouse ever since. There are lots of tools on the market that can help you with pricing and revenue management. So we wanted to know what impact has Wheelhouse had on John's bottom line? 
Find out later in the show. It's all part of Wheelhouse's Spotlight on Exceptional Property Managers. 2018, um, after uh, losing a lot of liquidity from, from uh, what had happened, we, we uh, launched Turnkey Vacation Rentals, so we, or a turnkey sales model, where we just basically started offering them up for sale. And we were growing our portfolio, but doing it very slowly. And we were, we used to call it our brand standard, which is just kind of sounds bad. So it kind of sounds arrogant. And really what, what we later learned a better terminology is just calling it the guest standards. And um, yeah, so we, we started out as an owner manager and owner operator, and then um, enlisted our services in 18 and started growing from there in 2019. We got we got some great traction, um, and then 2020, January, February, and March was actually the first quarter that we became profitable, and we oh, were man. Uh, we were positive. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> great timing, great yeah. timing. Yeah, great, timing. perfect timing. I'm <laughs> so excited until March. Um, yeah, one month of profitability. <laughs> we were doing so hard work all the years. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, then you know we we. Uh, uh, from 2020 on, I mean, that's where really kind of starts to take a shift. I mean, I've had a lot of hills and valleys, but this this is definitely where it, it hit everybody. It hit the whole world really, really hard. And for for us at this time, we're, we're no longer really doing the construction and the investment and um, the the development side. And that was a very lucrative part of of my funding and income that I was living off of while this other business wasn't profitable. And since I'm self-funded, um, you, you know, it was, it was becoming really, really challenging, not being profitable for that long. And then when we hit 2020, we got that news and there was just, wall. we had some remote yeah. <laughs> territories, as you guys know, and we had some remote territories, but in St. Louis, our local territories, there was, there was literally nothing. All the reservations were gone. And um, then in some of our remote areas, such as Colorado Springs, uh, at Lake of the Ozarks, those did really, really well because everybody's trying to yeah. escape COVID and yeah. those destination areas did great. But we, yeah, we, we, we went through some challenges. We had to um, very quickly figure out a plan because there is zero revenue rolling in the door. Uh, we have more revenue going out because then there's all the cancellations. And then we started having guests that are disputing and a lot of the things that everyone's probably been through. And um, we, I, I started trying to refinance and just do anything I can to inject capital into the business to keep us alive and keep my employees. Really, all I cared about was the employment and just trying to figure out. I knew that we would be okay if we could get to the other side, but we were running out of money very, very fast. I'm, I, uh, it pretty much cleaned me out from a liquidity standpoint after about 60 days of injecting personal capital to keep our payroll going. Then we were calling all the insurance companies, calling all the relocation companies and starting to try to figure out what is now kind of called the midterm model, finding ways to get our fully furnished homes um, completely rented. And then some we had to unfurnish. And it was it was a fun time. And then to fast forward a little bit, a couple months later, we we had completely ran out. I was seven days at my office. I think I was sleeping most of the days there and I slept for about two to three hours each day and just head on the desk. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was walking to a church. Nobody was even attending church at that time. So I'm walking to a church every day. 
I'm on my knees praying and I am basically reaching that point where I, I, I just thought we were done. Like I didn't know what to do. I was kind of ready to not, not really ready to throw in the towel, but I knew I had to have a serious conversation with my team. And so I remember um, this would have been around May, I believe, is when we uh, we had a Zoom call. I was I was in our entire office building by myself. The rest of my team was working remotely. And I, I got on a call with them basically in the morning after sleeping for a couple hours. I just I, I threw it in and let go and just had to had to tell them the truth that, guys, I don't know how I'm going to make your payroll. And I just want to let you know. So I broke it to them. And um, to my surprise, the miracle next was that my my team unanimously just like they, they didn't even skip a beat. They were just like, so, <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> well, what does that mean? Are you quitting? And I'm like, no, I'm not quitting. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I figured you were quitting, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what yeah, to do. Yeah. And, you know, right? and I was so yeah. broken, guys. Like I was so yeah. yeah, I was defeated. Yeah. And um, I gave it, you know, I just I just gave it out there. And uh, when, when when my team had said that, we we basically just rallied on the call. And when I say we, it was mostly them. They were rallying and inspired me. It lifted my spirits. I got off the call. They're, they're basically like, look, look, have you have you seen unemployment? Like, we'll just volunteer our time. Can we not volunteer to be <laughs> Right, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll take unemployment, but we're going to still come in if that's okay. Right. I'm kind of confused. Yeah. You know? wow. So I got off the call. I'm just praying and confused. And, and later that day, I had been trying every avenue up until that point where I just kind of uh, not quit, but let go of trying to over control the scenario. And, and I got approved for our first um, payroll protection program, the PPP, then another, and then SBA, right? And then you fast forward a little bit. And so we sat, sat down with the team the second we actually got that funded. And we, we made every decision as a team from that point forward of when, we, when do we relaunch payroll? What do we do with these? And they, uh, my team, I still have um, that very team today. And there, it's just a very, very well-connected uh, culture where, where it, it, it amazed me that that they were willing to do that, and they didn't change any kind of workout. But if anything, it got better. They were just we we're all hustling to to pick up the pieces that the the hurricane pandemic knocked down. So I remember I've heard this story before, and I think you told it to us the first night that we met you, and. I got chills when you started telling it just now because I, I remember that same feeling. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is so passionate about not only his business, but the people that are part of the business and have helped him get to you know where he is. But I mean, you've there, there's been some serious, serious times there where you are almost gonna risk losing both the business and the people. And I'm just curious. I mean, obviously those people are with you now through everything that's happened, but as a leader, how did you get them to that point that when, you know, COVID hit and they were going to have to work for free unemployment, what did you, how did you lead them going up to that point that they already had that loyalty to mm. you? I mean, is there anything you can pinpoint as to what, what you've done to build that culture? I know that's a kind of a loaded yeah. question, but you've done such a great well, job at it. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I will pull from my AT&T experience for that quote, for that answer, because yeah. I didn't know anything about leadership. When I started with them, I started at 18. I was supposed to go to college and I went out to uh, Mizzou 
and got a DWI right when I got there. I didn't even drive my car, but I started it and that was enough. And that it, I, I was not the same responsibility level that I am today, but um, that, <laughs> yeah. that sent me into, I actually called my dad and this is part of the tribute to him and why I honor him so much today. I called my dad in that, well, I called my mom <laughs> in that moment, let's be honest. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh my God, you know, you got in trouble. Let's, let's figure out how to help. And she's like, talk to your dad. And my dad's like, dude, that sucks. What are you going to do? And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. What do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Can you help, please? You know? so it, it was just tough, <laughs> yeah. tough love very yeah. early on that he gave me that I didn't understand. And um, I remember resenting him for many years because I was, I was, broke. I mean, I went days without eating in 2000 and well, I think that was 2003 and three. And, um, you know, I, I had to get a job at, well, I had many jobs, but I, I got a job with AT&T in that corporate career. And I learned very early on that, that leadership is really a choice. And I started out as a boss. I didn't know what it meant to be a leader. And leadership is really just all of the same things that can attribute to any relationship, which is trust, communication, mm -hmm. it's honesty, integrity, and most importantly is authenticity. Um, I think that Absolutely. if you are yourself and you surround yourself with the people that are also authentic, then you're going to have a good bond. And I think what happens in a lot of corporate worlds when companies get so large is they lose touch of that. So you fast forward into my AT&T career, I, I uh, was, was uh, offered a position in 2008 to travel to Ohio to basically go improve or fix a culture was, was how it was presented. It, oh, I wow. don't know. You can't like wave a wand to do that. But I originally turned that down. And um, um, I remember when I presented that to the owner, they asked why. And, and uh, I had a lot of different reasons. They, they sweetened the pot. and. I, I, I couldn't say no when they kept throwing things at me, but I knew I wanted to start real estate and all these other things. But I, I looked at, I had studied it before I went in for this meeting and I asked the, the company if they knew what their turnover was in this region that they wanted to send me to. They had no idea, but they were losing eight people a month, which is two a week. And I'm like, so if I, wow. if I go out there and I'm a great recruiter, then I'm going to have to find at least two people a week just to keep up with the turnover. <laughs> yeah, just, just to right. keep us going. <laughs> yeah. That's rough numbers right there. Yeah. That's right. Oh my gosh. I, so I said yeah. this to him. I said, if, if you will accept this, I'll do it. I said, you're not allowed to say the word sales. Nobody is. No growth, no revenue, no sales, no performance for 90 days. And they laughed. Yeah. And they're like, wait, you're serious. I'm like, no, I'm dead serious because if I go out there with a hammer, how am I going to, I'm not going to fix the problem that's out there. We have to Right. Through. No one's going to want to be part of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's already underperforming. You can't beat them down anymore. And, you know, in a tech world, right. and that's, it's like that in this industry as well, in the AT&T or self cellular world or any kind of technology, it could take six months to be comfortable. The average tenured employee um, was, I believe, two months and the average manager was six months. In St. Louis, the average oh, wow. employee was a couple of years and the average manager was like five years. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of the blind leading the yeah. blind. And so that taught me um, how important because I went out there and I took that opportunity in the first 90 days. It's exactly what I did was trying to figure out 
how do we humanize our leadership here? And how do we connect? And how do we get um, in touch and connect with all of these individuals that are here? And how do we get people to be happy, really? I pulled everybody in and told them who I am and what I'm trying to do. And some people left, but most stayed. And we went from eight to six to four to two to zero. Nobody leaving. And um, wow. that was very, it was a really cool experience for me. And I'm very grateful for the leaders that I had then that that taught me what real leadership means. And and essentially, it's like working for your people. Instead of instead of just demanding work output from them, you are, you're all a team. You're all in the trenches. And so... No, it's a long answer, a very long answer to your question, but that was the kind of the moment where it helped. And I knew that, um, you know, when I, as, as the years went on after that, I realized very quickly that I wanted to start my own brand and my own culture and um, for us yeah. to really, as a team, do it together. Yeah, I love that. And I think that whole time you probably weren't thinking in your mind, how do I be a good leader in this situation? Or how do I, you know, take leadership information I've learned? You are literally having to put yourself in the moment and just figure things out, right? I mean, it's very, like you said, authentic. Like you had to lead with your heart and just, you know, trust that you were doing the right thing and being truthful and honest and communicating to your team. I mean, that's, that's everything. That is what good communication and a good team is built on. So that makes sense. That was a great answer to how you've got the team to where they were at COVID to kind of summarize. Um, so I can understand why they wanted to stay with you and well, you, you. you know, from the outside, from what we can see, you know, we see your, your pictures and videos of, of your staff and it's very clear that they, they have that ad, ad, admiration, but also that uh, appreciation of being part of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all of us, we want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We want to be part of a community. We want to be part of something that's, um, you know, that makes us feel whole and that you've but certainly achieved more. that with your team. So you've done a great job. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that when people really feel like they're a part of something bigger and, and you are making a difference, um, mm -hmm. then they want to sign up for that or you attract the right people that way. And if you are that leader that is demanding results and demanding, uh, we, I, I wanted to, I had to shift my approach many years ago to self coaching and self, you know, um, awareness and recognition. And so whenever mm -hmm. you're coaching an employee, it's so much better to just be that mentor and friend and ask questions and get people to find success or help them navigate to success in their version and not ours as leaders. And so when you yeah. do that, it's authentic. And we have lots of conversations of how do we help somebody in, in personal ways too. It's not a check that stuff at the door, which is what happens in a lot of corporate world. I just don't want to deal with that, the, the drama, you know, but you have to, you got to deal with it all. And that's really, we all accept each other for every bit of who we are. And it's really more about our values and virtues and and if we share the same, then you can you can maintain that that culture. People will still come and go, but you can definitely maintain it. Well, I think COVID COVID was one of those things that it kind of weeded out the you know weeded out the one people who just weren't strong of will are also people that maybe just didn't know where they belonged. And but clearly your your team knew where they belonged and that they were they were meant for that mission to be with you. And and I'm sure when you told that story, I, I just kind of pictured myself like if I was sitting in that room, like for you, that must have just been like an enormous weight lifted off your shoulder yeah, because you were trying to yeah. figure out it. You were trying to find the words to tell them 
what yeah. in your mind was playing out to be this very dark moment. Yeah. And then you here expected they, they were going to leave. Light. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And sometimes as leaders, like we feel like we always have to have things figured out for our, our people and our team. And, yeah. You know, we always try to like put all of the barrier and weight on our own shoulders. And, and sometimes we just got to bring it to the team and we, and really, I, I I think at the time I was probably trying to keep them from being scared. And then it reached a point where it was so impossible to get through. Well, at least it seemed that um, the only way I know is just to be honest and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, just come to them with that vulnerability, which is really, it's not easy to do that and tell your team that you feel no. that you failed them. That was one of the hardest conversations I've had to have. With sure. Them. But man, the yeah. way that it bonded us though and connected us afterwards and just how, how I see them today, I mean, it's such just like family, really. And um, they are yeah. all very much a work work family. But yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that the, the, the biggest thing is making sure that you have some kind of authentic relationship. And when people feel that you're genuine, then yeah, they're probably going to um, perform a little bit differently as well. Well, and two things so on interesting. that. Oh, oh, I was say, Annie, your your word of the year for 2021 was was authenticity. As anybody who's right. listened to the show has heard us say many times, so I love that part of it. But then the other part that you talked about vulnerability, uh, you know, I've shared with you about Casago and our culture, and that's one of the things that Steve, um, our CEO, talks about a lot is that vulnerability is actually the number one criteria of trust. And it, I remember first time I had uh, seen him speak before going to work for them, he gave a presentation that talked about that. And I thought, gosh, that's that's so interesting because in most corporate environments or even non-corporate environments, most of what you see at the top is a lot of egos and, you know, pr- pretending things are a certain way and um, scarcity mindset and fear-based and, you know, information yeah. is only given to certain people. And it's like, there's so many, so many mind games that are played at work that I've seen. And it's just, you know, to, to have the right culture, to have the trust, the vulnerability, the communication, all that is just, it's, it's very different. So yeah, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, Steve is a very smart guy from all the interactions that I've had with him. Um, and it's very clear when you look at the company uh, that he, he totally gets it and preaches the culture model. And, and you know, the, the authenticity factor and the vulnerability, like it shows people that you're human too, that you make mistakes mm-hmm. whenever you, right. whenever you do that. And that's the same with kids too. Like you have to, you have to be able to show that I'm not perfect and I mess up too. And now let's get into conflict resolution or let's, let's talk about how to overcome those mistakes. But yeah, the vulnerability in the in the in the political world, it's or in the corporate world, it's very political. Is really what it is. Yeah, yeah. and um, not all of them, and uh, it's not there everywhere. Not every region is going to be that way, but you know, typically you're just going to experience that a lot more. At least in in my experience, there's a lot more of that political nature, and then people start to um, do their own kind of same thing when they're looking as an employee. They're being recruited, and so if everybody's looking out for themselves. It's not going to be a sustainable um, uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that over the last few years has has been identified as like a key metric for organizations that are successful or deemed successful is kind of that culture and the authenticity of the leadership. And so, it, what's interesting to me is what you did was you were authentic. 
And by doing being authentic, which is my last year's word, you were able to do what my this year's word is, which is inspire. Yeah, so you were that's able to right. ins- you were able to <laughs> connecting with all of those, <laughs> those people. And that's what I immediately immediately thought of because I didn't I didn't think about like for myself, I looked at all the ways that like uh, being authentic, what it's what's in an enabled it's enabled me to do and the opportunities that Alex and I have, uh, have, um, been afforded because we decided to just put ourselves out there, be authentic, be vulnerable. But in the same, in the same realm, like people would come to us and go like, you're so inspirational as two women doing this or mm-hmm. two women in this industry. Like, so it, I, I love what you're doing. And I, and I think that, um, one of the things that when we first met you that really spoke to me is I have a very, um, I'm a very, I'm an empath. So I'm like very much gravitate towards people that kind of wear their heart on their sleeves and you do that. And you, you you have a charity that you do some work with. And I, I, I vaguely remember the conversation about it, but would you tell us a little more more about that? Because I just like that to me, charities and, and donating your time and yourself and, and kind of just doing something for the greater good is always just something I find it's inspirational to me. And I I know other people will find it. So well, it feels good and it feels it's, so Jay-Z, let me just sit, rewind. So Jay-Z Gives Back is is our nonprofit. And really, um, it's evolved a little bit over the years. And uh, most recently in COVID, we had to kind of pause it. But we, it's the, the nonprofit has been an ed, basically an education um, platform. And I wanted to be able to, my, one of my biggest passions is teaching, is, is giving back those mistakes, really. All the, there's been a lot of hills and valleys, and I believe that, you have those messes to be a message. And, um, you know, you do have to be vulnerability because, or you do have to have that vulnerability and be vulnerable for other people so they can understand that they're going to go through the same things, but it's okay to do that. And, um, you know, whenever you are in, in, in Jay-Z Gives Back, we started out with doing, um, uh, whether that was just speaking engagements or hosting uh, monthly events at our at our corporate office here. We're doing a lot of REI stuff and just anything where we could give back education. A lot of the time it was real estate investing starting out and just having a platform where people can get information for free and not not have to get sold. Like there's no there's no end game. There's no real catch. There's no it. pitch. You genuinely yeah. want to yeah. see people win. And so we've done a lot of, you know, just done a lot of REIs and done a lot of hosting we, uh, 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 legislation wise, and I believe this was in 2018 and 19, uh, the city of St. Louis was really, they, they weren't necessarily cracking down or trying to eliminate or ban short term rentals, but they were uh, making a lot of moves, whether that's occupancy or the taxation. And there's a lot of different regulations that were being discussed by aldermen. So I got involved very early on. And that's actually how I met Dave. Um, cause we got, um, uh, started out with Noiseware at one of our properties cause we were trying to help, uh, get involved with the neighborhood communities and show them how much we care and how we monitor with tech. And, uh, at that time, Dave had that vision for responsibly. Um, and yeah. so we've been a part of that with him and Jay-Z gives back has really just been a, a platform where people can go to a site and go to our YouTube channel. Um, most recently in the last year, couple of years been a lot in survival mode. So I had to, I had to learn because I would spend way more time on the stuff that I don't make money on, but I knew that I had to right. get back to doing, uh, getting the business into a, a comfortable and safe place to where it's putting the oxygen mask on first. And, uh, ultimately that is a passion is, is, is education. 
And the other thing that's that awesome. I want to so add really, to, yeah. one other thing to add is that like, I genuinely feel that education is the best gift you can give and receive as well, because people can steal your money. They can tap into your bank account, but they can't take mm-hmm. your knowledge. And I heard that very, very yeah. early on when I was listening to an investment speaker. I think it was a rich dad, poor dad conference that was in town. And um, he started out, uh, it was a trainer and he started out putting yachts and all this stuff, stuff on the, <laughs> on the screen, which, you know, I didn't really right. appreciate that, but, but he said something that was very valuable that I'll never forget. And I, at the time I didn't have kids, but he was talking about his daughter and he said, you know, my number one goal in my life. And he, t- uh, it was to make sure that I, I, um, teach my daughter how to pick a man for his soul, not his wallet, meaning I'm going to teach her how to make her own money. So she has the knowledge right. to do right. what yeah. she wants to do. And that's one thing he, he, that stood out to me. I want both my kids. I could care less if they have any part of Jay-Z, uh, other than the initials my son has, but, but for, <laughs> for Jay-Z doesn't matter as long as they're able to go chase whatever that ambition is. Um, I want to give them the education along the way so they could be learn from dad's mistakes, whether they listen or not. Yeah. I didn't um, when I was younger, <laughs> whether they listen yeah. or not is another thing, but yeah, education has always been something that stuck with me from that moment forward. And um, I, I also, I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys. My, my team still doesn't believe me when I say this, but I used to not be able to speak in front of five people without a panic. I remember you telling him. Yeah. Yeah. That goes back to the authenticity. Yeah. Like I, in the corporate world, I walked around with fake confidence and you don't really know. Yeah. So yeah. I just thought I had a problem. Like I could, I, I had yeah. some anxiety. I had all, uh, more panic attacks than I could count. And um, yeah, now sure. I love public speaking. I really, really enjoy it, but it took, yeah. it took years and things in education and me studying and learning more about it before I could eventually accept it and, and grow from it. So those are other things that yeah. we enjoy talking about. And we're very open about it. Whereas in a lot of organizations, a lot of that stuff can be kind of pushed aside and on the hush. Well, the number one fear of anybody is public speaking. I mean, more so than plane crashes or spiders right. or anything or that could possibly be <laughs> yeah, snakes yeah, is public snakes. speaking. And, you know, we, Annie and I talk about this all the time either. that yeah, snakes, <laughs> yeah. like, I, don't think snakes. Of, I don't think about snakes. I guess maybe I'm afraid yeah. of them, but yeah, I, I, a year ago, two years ago, my gosh, I mean, to think that I, I never would have thought that we would be on a podcast right now, let's be honest, but even beyond that, just the, the stages that we've be, been on. And I know you feel the same too, that it's like, you, you have to push yourself out of that comfort zone. And that's something that we've really leaned into. And when you do that, that's when you develop that, that muscle of confidence that, okay, I've done it once now I can do it again. And it's almost like, it's seemingly overnight in a weird way that you look back and you're like, gosh, I was so nervous about something that now I don't feel that way. And I mean, yes, there are some cases where before a speaker go on stage, like you can feel that kind of your, your blood kind of rising and like, you you know, your, your breathing gets coming up. Yeah. yeah, But not nearly to the extent that it, that it used to. to Quick story. I I had shared this on Facebook and I think this really connected with a lot of people when it happened and it definitely hit me, but I was on my way out to Costco 
University and was on the plane. And this lady came on that she was the last one to board. And she kind of looked like a hot mess, like coming down the way. And the seat and next it wasn't to me, me, by the way. way. It wasn't Annie. <laughs> <Andy, yeah. laughs> yeah. Annie, gonna leave the bar, gonna get on the plane. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But so this lady comes walking down, and there's one seat next to me. And I'm like, oh, God, I, I wonder if she's sitting next to me. And of course Here's she was. So she's in the window, let her in. Yeah. And she's chatty Kathy and, and she she says she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I feel so bad. I'm like, I don't know. Don't be sorry. Like we didn't we weren't the plane wasn't waiting for you. But she said, I had to I just drank a double um jack and diet. I am extremely petrified of flying. So immediately I'm like, oh gosh, this is gonna be a fun flight. Oh and she says, you know, I she was probably in her fifties and you know, well to do looking lady, but she said, I just I'd never fly. I just I'm so afraid of it. And I, I I didn't hold her hand, but I talked to her the whole time as we were, you know, taken off and in the air and she wasn't t- freaking out at all. I mean, she was actually more calm than I think she probably even would have thought she would be. And as we started moving along, she said, you know, this actually isn't that bad. And she was asking me, she said, I can't believe that you're not, so, you're not afraid of flying. And she said, why aren't you afraid of flying? I said, I don't know, because I just, I've always, I've always done it. And she said, well, what are you afraid of? I said, it used to be public speaking, but then <laughs> once you do it, you're not afraid of it anymore. Right. And right. kind of the light bulbs went off in both of our heads that it's like, okay, she felt better. I, I, same thing as I felt better doing public speaking. Once you push yourself, then it's really not that bad, but it's just getting yeah. over that hump that you, you have to put yourself out there and you have to do it. Yeah. It's practice yeah. and it's, it's action. Yeah. And, and it's right. the same as, as yeah. going to the gym. Like we, we want yeah. to stay in shape without going to the gym, but we have to go to the gym to break down the muscles. <laughs> right. Yeah. With that uncomfort <laughs> and that uncomfort then grows back. Right. And we yeah. get into better yeah. shape from that routine. There was, there was one thing that, um, a, a friend of mine said to me a long time ago, that's all, that's also really stuck with me because I didn't know the difference. Um, and I, you know, not very credible to give advice on this, but this was one thing that was said is that confidence and self-esteem are, they, they are different. Like confidence is the result of action. So like I, mm-hmm. yeah, not going, if, if we have a golf tournament coming up, I'm not going to be confident that I'm going to be do well on the golf course. Cause I'm just not good. Um, I've played mm-hmm. maybe eight times in my life and, um, I will have fun because I have good self-esteem now in my life, but I didn't used to, right. but I will have fun. Yeah. I will go anyways, but I'm not confident that I will do well playing golf. Now, self-esteem was broken down to me like a trust bank account. And so, um, you know, no one else can make a deposit or withdrawal into your trust account, except you. So trust is also mm-hmm. how we see ourselves. You know, how we trust ourselves is really self-esteem, how we see ourselves. And so if you, every time you make a commitment, that could be just a commitment to get on a call. That could be a commitment to go to the gym or a commitment to somebody else. And you fulfill that commitment, you make a deposit. It's an esteemable act. And then every time you don't, you make a withdrawal. And so as long as you make more deposits, then then withdrawals, then you're going to continue to improve your self-esteem. When that was said to me, I mean, there was a lot of, that was many, many years ago. And that's helped me a lot because when I did um, 75 hard in, in, in 2020, uh, I'm sorry, 2021, I did uh, this program called 75 hard where you have to commit to five monotonous things. Have you guys heard of it? 
Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. No, I yeah. have not. Well, for anybody, it's a program that um, actually supplements superstores that are here locally in, in St. Louis, owned by uh, the, the founder of First Form that started this program and created it, put many years of time into it. And it's so simple, but it has a whole book of psychology around it. Where if you do, you know, routines and just getting into the rhythm of doing things makes you not really necessarily think so much about it. So 75 hard right. to do for 75 days in a row. You have to drink a gallon of water every single day, uh, which mm-hmm. is a lot. And then you have to yeah. Yeah. 10 pages of a self-help book every single day. You have to work out twice. One has to be outside for 45 minutes. Doesn't matter how cold it is. And... Um, and you have to take a progress pic, a selfie every every day. And so if you miss one thing, if you miss, you read nine pages, you lost. And you, you go have to start from the beginning. Back. Yeah. You have to start over. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. you know, it progresses and it can go on. But, I mean, that, you know, the most inspired my team ever was, was when I was doing 75 hard. I was doing it for myself. But it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it's so important to sometimes lead by example. Because if you want to inspire yeah, others to do certain yeah. things, sometimes it's better. Yeah. To just you have to do it charge. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People mirror mirror what they say. Alex and Annie, the real women of therapy for vacation rentals today. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. such great <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. No, no, yeah. it's 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 great though, and I think that's that's the thing is like you've you've taken your real world learnings and you've developed these kind of principles of um, your your culture and, and how you want to lead and inspire and do all the, you know, the great things that you're doing. So you've, you've built up this great team and you've built up their um, admiration of you and you're inspiring them clearly every day. Where do you see yourself taking your business forward? Like, are you mm-hmm. looking to maybe franchise it like a Casa Go or are you looking to be in, you know, I know you said you're in your multiple markets, but a lot of that is through your like distribution channel. So what, what is the, what is the, you know, the couple, next couple of years look like for Jay-Z? Yeah. Great question. So e-commerce has really been where my head has been in, in building an OTA um, and continuing to build. Mm-hmm. So what, what I, I believe 2018, 19-ish, we were looking at properties in Marco Island. And it was at that point where, I, it, unless you're really good at filters, narrowing down the super host, the preferred partner, and know how to kind of filter out the properties, it can sometimes be difficult. That was the first yeah. moment that I realized that um, it's it's hard to find a brand in this industry. I mean, they're, they're out there and I've learned a lot more by traveling and going to conferences. But when you're a consumer and you're going to stay at a Marriott and you want to stay at a Marriott in Kansas City or St. Louis or New York or a different country, you kind of know what to expect. And so um, I saw that personally when, when I was just shopping as a consumer and trying to find a place and couldn't narrow down a hundred that even looked well in that time frame that we were looking at many, many years ago. And so that was the first time that I um, really, it really, really sold me since I experienced it as a consumer that we want to create this consistent environment where it doesn't matter what city you go to, what country you go to, similar to what hotels or any kind of brand has done um, for many years. And then I was studying luxury retreats uh, com before they were purchased and later acquired by Airbnb, that's, which is now Airbnb Lux and just really a filter mm-hmm. on that site. 
And they really, really, that company really inspired me on the consistency. They had a 300 point checklist. We do something very similar to where even if we're bringing somebody in, we want to make sure that it, it checks every single box. It could be as simple as having a, a toaster or a tea kettle or our, all of our vendors in home automation, a little bit more complex stuff. And so that has, um, has really helped us grow our direct, our direct channel bookings now. We're still a smaller company, but we're 35% of our revenue distribution is now um, through jzvacationrolls.com. Whereas Airbnb has diminished down to 10 to 15% at best. Um, Verbo and a lot of the other channels can kind of make up the difference with Verbo being the heavy hitter. So to answer your question, like growing that OTA presence is, is definitely one of my big focuses on trying to continue to grow that consistency as an OTA. And then also getting into more of that e-commerce platform where we start to resell everything out of the home. I think you guys had Minoan yeah. experience uh, on and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. great company that we recently partnered with and that, that, uh, yeah, we love them. <laughs> yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. And well, it's just it's a great a smart concept because we're putting we put yeah. so much time into which mattresses and which vendors and which things are going to go in the home. And then we started having guests constantly reaching out and asking us for the skew we will get a Zenus mattress that is on Amazon. It's not crazy expensive. And so when we send that to somebody, they're very surprised how affordable it is. And they're, I think, coming into it thinking it's an expensive mattress. So e-commerce is, is another play for us. We just want to continue to grow that brand presence to where whether it is um, now recently in co-working, whether that's for work, uh, midterm rentals, long-term rentals, short-term rentals. We do every bit of that. And it's kind of a one-stop shop for people's needs when they're looking for that quality and willing to pay a little bit more for them. Yeah, I think you are extremely diversified and yeah. that's probably the best way to be in this, you know, uncertain economic climate and not knowing where things are going to go over the next three to five years. But I think you're set up for, for great success the way that you have that model. But and interesting, too, because I don't know that, you know, you're I feel like you're kind of in between the newer style manager, but you're not new, but and you're not small, but you're, you're not a legacy that's been around for 20, 30 years. You operate kind of with both mindsets that you are very entrepreneurship, like the newer side is, but you also have very grounding principles, like the companies that have been around for a long time and have gotten to that point. Yeah. But I think you're being a little bit more creative than both ends to tie in different segments of the business. So as long as you can do that and, and be able to be in multiple places at one time. I think you're going to have great, great success with it. And I think the e-commerce side you, is, you is super interesting. Because it hasn't always worked out. Yeah. You know, we've had, yeah. I've had other entities that started and failed. And, and I think it, you have to be very, very careful on not running mm -hmm. in too many verticals. So I think it's okay if it's the right. same highway. You can have different yeah, lanes. Yeah, they've got to be synergistic. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. They kind of have yeah. to aid yeah. each other. And sometimes a lot of it doesn't, happen from just just generating a, a great idea you kind of fall into it some the the one thing i'll say about the pandemic that is a silver lining for us or became a silver lining annie was saying earlier like when it, it was a test to a lot of foundations it could be a test for relationships businesses anybody that mm -hmm. didn't have a solid core foundation and we were one of them because there were 
we had a we had a core foundation from a team aspect. I believe that's your true foundation. Mm-hmm. But from, from a product and resources and computers mm-hmm. and website and our our PMS at the time was different. So right after we got funded, that's one of the things that we sat down and did is went back to the drawing board and said, okay, what are we going to do with this SBA fund? Some of it we had to just catch up, replace, you know, replace debts and right. then anything else we used to continue to advance our business. We, we uh, at that point switched to streamline, changed our website. And it's like, it's like hurricane COVID came and knocked our house down and we had a chance to sit there and stare at the dirt and realize that there wasn't concrete and we're like, okay, let's rebuild. Instead of just being discouraged, let's rebuild. We built it now to where we can have multiple verticals that I wouldn't have been able to have with the old uh, uh, PMS system that I originally started. Yeah. COVID was a great opportunity for people to kind of reassess and, and recalibrate in terms of like their values, the direction, it's the tech stack, certainly. I mean, that's one of the things that we've talked about for sure is that it, it blew up the need and the ability to access tech for this, this sector of the industry that just wasn't there before. A lot of great learnings, a lot of great new systems. You know, there's too many choices out there for, you know, in, in some of the verticals for sure. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of the consolidation um, for that. But I, you know, Alex, your, your story is wonderful and okay. just, getting to know you has been a really great blessing to both Alex and I. We just, we talk about you every opportunity that we get with other people because (laughs) you do really, you do really model what we see as the best of kind of these smaller breeds of, of managers that are coming up. I kind of, when Alex was trying to talking about how you operate, I feel like you're a, you're a young guy with a lot of passion, but you have an old soul and your Mm -hmm. old soul is what's keeping (laughs) you grounded and and putting you, you know, putting you in this trajectory of, of again, building a good culture and really focusing and understanding that the diversification, but putting hard work in it and, and having that team along with you is, and I I would go so far as to say a lot of that is, is your dad, right? I mean, your dad, obviously, Impressed a lot on you growing up and the hard lessons and everything too. Yeah, I think every every single lesson, everything you go through is going to be either um, you know it's supposed it's meant to be a lesson or a blessing in some Mm -hmm. kind of way, and you can look at it like that and you can search for the silver linings. And I think all the businesses now that did seek what that silver lining is have made it. And you know, in San Antonio was a very inspiring event for me. I don't know about yeah. you. I think you yeah. guys shared the same thing. Oh, it was great. And Definitely. Yeah. It was really, well, yeah. really cool to hear people's kind of comeback stories. And, um, you know, it's sad to see the companies that weren't there, or the, the trades or vendors that weren't there. Um, but you've also yeah. seen a lot of those rebound now. And I think it just kind yeah. of shows the persistence eventually pays off. And Annie, I really appreciate your comment. I think that just making a lot of mistakes early on uh, is really what got me there. I still make them today and I think it's owning them and just realizing that every single time you make one, it's a lesson and you're you're much quicker to adapt and move forward when you look at it as, okay, this happened, not poor me, but this happened. How do I, how do I, what's coming out of it? What is the good that's going to get presented? Yeah. Well, and I, and I feel like, you know, for myself, I, I, I had to do one of those like soul searching, 
ventures for myself where I kind of looked back and said, like, feels like I don't understand why all the, my path has been the way it's been. But then if I look at back in the totality of it all, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and it's again, Alex always talks about, you know, you can't connect the dots, you know, moving forward, you have to look back to yeah. connect those dots and kind of make sense of it all. And so I have a, you're interesting to talk about, you know, making sure that your kids are set up to understand, you know, the, they, they make mistakes and those kind of things. And I have a 22 year old and, and just trying to make him understand that sometimes it's not about getting rich quick. It's not about getting to that, that success because it, success is, is, it could be, it's subjective. Yes. It can be whatever you think it should mm-hmm. be. And then I think it over time, it changes in your life as to what that success, because what I thought was success at 25 is certainly not what I thought it was at 35 or 45 or now in my fifties, you oh, know, it, it just, it just evolves. It just evolves with you and you have to be open to the signs. And that's one thing that Alex and I, um, we have, we joke about it, but it, it's really something that because we joke about it, it's, it's like front and center for every conversation, kind of every experience that we have. It's just about recognizing those moments, those teachable, those learnings, those things that are going to be pivotal six months from now. They may not matter today, but they will be six months from now. And you have to be open. I mean, that's part of self-awareness is you have to be open to be aware, to notice those things. And I think Mm -hmm. when Alex, like you said about if you're, something happens and you're upset about it and, you know, pitting yourself and getting negative, you're never going to be open to recognize the good signs that come either. I mean, like you're almost looking for why things aren't working out for you. That's right. But yeah. when you change your mindset, you know, you talked about the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, how much that changed your life. I know for me, it was the book, The Secret that I read well, and kind of a mm-hmm. similar thing that at that time, this was 2000, I'd say 13. And I didn't read a whole lot of books at that time. I wasn't into podcasts. Those weren't really a thing at the time, but that was the first kind of beginning of my journey of self-awareness, self, um, personal development. And that really was, was game changing for me. And you, so you have to have that mindset and continuously surround yourself with people, books, information that keep you in that mindset. Cause it's really hard to fall. Or it's really easy to fall out of it. I couldn't agree it's, more. It's got to be consistency. I, I love to, so I will, I, um, I have a Calendly, um, link on my website and I will meet with anybody and give them my time for free on, on the first meeting. And then they want to do consulting from there. I care so much more about the exercise that I'm going to challenge them with or something that I might give them, maybe that's a book or something that we discussed when we were chatting, like Mm -hmm. some kind of homework to know, are they willing to go read a book? Are they willing to be resourceful? To your point, Alex, like, are they open? You know, are they coachable? Mm -hmm. Um, I was not always open-minded. I definitely had an ego when I was younger and early on in my corporate days. And I had to get all that checked and, and really that's from falling on your face and realizing that yeah. you stay yeah. humble, um, or you'll get humbled basically. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, it's just, it's so important to, to keep that, that honesty and openness because then you're, you're allowing things to come in because you have an open door. And if you're close minded to it, everything's shut off and going to conferences, listening to podcasts, whatever that may be, um, to some people, they'll look at that as work. Um, I don't see how, especially going to conferences. That's not, that's not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's work, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Let me take that. Back. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. gotta, you gotta, you, you can't always want to have the idea is really what it is. And 
I am yeah. not that person that cares. Sure. I don't want to come up with the idea because that is more work. I would much rather yeah. go borrow it from someone else. Or when we were yeah. talking about go find the idea, go find yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that's like Minoan experience yeah. would be a good yeah. good example of that. We were trying to recreate that on our own site yeah. with Amazon affiliate yeah. program, yeah. and then he came around, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, never yeah, mind. why? You why waste all that time and resources when <laughs> yeah. this already exists? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah, such a great point. Uh, well, this has yeah. been an incredible journey, just not only as friends, mm-hmm. but also today in this episode, just learning more about your journey and being able to share that with our audience really means a lot to us. And I think there will be a lot of people that listen that got something from this episode. And Absolutely. if that is any of you that are listening, we'd love to hear uh, your comments on this because I think this was this was great. But Alex, thank you. Thank you. We are excited to um, continue the conversation and hopefully we'll get to pick up later on this year and see where your journey has taken you. Um, depending on when this comes out, and I think it will in time, um, you're going to be at the IMN conference yes. in Miami, the short-term rental forum. Yep. Um, and speaking on a panel, uh, what's that panel about? Um, I believe this one is on uh, data, really, uh, talking about occupancy and looking at ADR, how that's shifted, how that's grown, our perspective on it. So I'm, I'm excited. There's, a, there's, a, there's another one that might be on branding. Uh, that I'll be in, but for that one, it's 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 more on um, discussing some of the metrics because it is kind of the investor geared uh, conference. Yeah, that's a perfect conference for you to be at. I'll be there too, talking about uh, OTAs and SEO algorithms. So excited to see anybody that will be there. Um, But in the meantime, is there a good way for our listeners to contact you if they want to reach out? Yeah, um, email is fine. Uh, It's just alex at jayzvacationrolls.com. uh, on my email, I also have a link to, and and I genuinely will meet anytime if there's, there's someone that's needing help, whether that's property management. I do it all the time because I really enjoy it, and it helps. I I learn and take something away from that. So on the website, but email is typically fine, or uh, LinkedIn. Um, I, I check a lot too, so it, it could be a LinkedIn message or any other social media platforms is fine too. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Again, it's been a long time coming. I feel like you you were one of the first people we wanted to get on the show and we just, yeah, before we even had a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we we just, because we launched the podcast. But yeah, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. And it's been a, you know, I'm a huge fan of both of you guys and that authenticity word, um, you know, is really how, how we define your podcast. So um, thanks for having me on because it's truly an honor to be here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That we means, appreciate you. That means a lot. Absolutely. If anybody wants to get in touch with Annie and I, you can go to alexnannypodcast.com. And until next time, thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Alex, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 